Hello everyone, welcome back to Dive Africa. I'm your host Titus and today we are going to talk about uh, humanitarian emergencies. Uh, we're also going to cover uh, situations around makers in societies. We know um, there are people out there who can use their skills to actually recreate, or repair or rebuild uh, solutions for communities. Uh, and online we have today Michael. Um, and Michael has been working in the front line uh, in emergencies in, in some organizations. Uh, and most of the things that he's been doing is to create solutions for uh, displaced communities and people affected by uh, conflict or, or other situations. And he's been working in Ukraine for the last few months. Uh, he will explain to us how things are happening, uh, how it feels to be in the front line how to innovate in these kind of situations. So thank you, Michael, for your time. And um, yeah, maybe we can start from you introducing yourself. Uh, tell the audience who you are uh, before we continue. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me to this uh, channel and uh, this great topic on uh, innovating in crisis and uh, uh, definitely the role of uh, the makers in society. It's a very interesting topic that I think it's great to share. Uh, experiences of uh, what the maker movement is doing. So, uh, just a little bit about me and my background. So, um, I actually started off in the DIY, which was normally known as the do-it-yourself movement. Yeah. And then later on, it came to uh, uh, the maker movement and then tinkerers. So, there's a lot of words, buzzwords going around the, the, this maker movement. So, so I started off like that and uh, I was actually working with open source technologies back then in Kenya. And uh, coming up with the you know hackathons, participating in hardware innovations, and trying to come up with new solutions that could uh, help solve uh, challenges. Yeah. So, uh, in the process of that, I was doing a lot of the, uh, like recycling electronic waste, and this is how I transitioned all the way to um, starting one of the first wearable technologies companies in in Africa for reducing motorbike accidents. So. Uh, it was also just about around tinkering things and trying to come up with uh, you know, actually solutions that are actually solving you know uh, major uh, problems or uh, challenges in the society. So that's how it all started, and then I transitioned on to um, doing uh, humanitarian work and specializing in humanitarian innovation and logistics and now supply chain. So currently, I'm working in emergencies, supporting uh, international humanitarian organizations in. Uh, some of the big challenges that So from your introduction, I've uh, picked up some few words, efficiency, uh, reusing what already exists. So tell us about this uh, supply chain project that you mentioned that you were working on, uh, because I've seen somewhere that you were in, involved in many other companies. Uh, I cannot really keep track of, uh, but I see you were featured somewhere in Mechanite, also on, the, on Gearbox. I've seen your name in most of these websites. Can you tell us more about what uh, you were doing in this uh, project? Yeah, so that, that was, it was a really interesting uh, project we were working on with an organization called uh, Field Ready. So um, the idea was to try and reduce uh, supply chains for humanitarian organizations. So instead of, uh, if, if, let's say, for example, there's a crisis or a disaster happens, so instead of importing things all the way maybe from China and sending them uh, all that lo crazy logistics, uh, you know, channel. So what we wanted to do is to manufacture things where they are needed. So 
this reduces the supply chain costs, it saves the organization money. And so what we were doing at the field reading was actually uh, manufacturing spare parts for medical devices for remote hospitals in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we were doing is using uh, this place called the Gearworks. It's a, it's a digital fabrication lab where you have all these uh, uh, expensive equipment that you can rent for a day or you have a package you can rent for a month or a week and you get to work with the machines, you have laser printers, 3D printers, uh, engraving machines and you can come up with the uh, solutions, you know, you can develop products out of it. So I was working there and, uh, you know, some of these uh, uh, medical equipment, some of them were manufactured so many years ago. They are, if you try even to buy a spare part, you cannot find it. But then oh, it's yeah. just maybe a small part, you know. So you, you, we're trying to find ways instead of, you know, bringing more electronic ways, how can we like reuse yeah yeah true yeah. true and uh, there was a set of uh projects that you um i don't know if it's part of your past experience or you're involved i don't know how that was uh executed but you mentioned something about uh medical equipments was this in kenya or uh in another country yeah this was in kenya so we had a big project in a very remote places here in kenya where we had um, medical equipment that was really needed in some hospitals, but they were broken, so they could not be used just because a small part was broken. And when you try, when you try to reach out to the companies, the manufacturers, they said actually they they stopped even manufacturing those kind of uh, devices. So uh, for me, this was a, a big challenge, and we were trying to also within this the maker culture was try to bring together also other makers, mm-hmm. and just to have this kind of many hospitals in many places in Kenya uh, having the same challenge. How can we like uh, have a kind of uh, a movement where we have the maker movement that brings together people who can collaborate, uh, share ideas, and can be involved in what we call distributed manufacturing. So that is where you can have so many people, if they have 3D printers, they can be involved in manufacturing different square parts, and then they are distributed all these kind of uh, places or hospitals. So, uh, and in terms of like, um, were you only covering uh, medical sort of uh, sector or it was any other sort of sector? It's something that you want to do it yourself, you see a problem, yeah, and you come up with a solution. Was it specific to a certain uh, area or you were open to uh, innovate anywhere? Uh, it was not only uh, healthcare, but we were also doing other pro- projects um, revolving around the wash because uh, wash is also another big sector. Uh, let's say uh, during emergencies, you have a lot of wash interventions that uh, we need to you know provide solutions. Uh, for example, we have to 3D print connectors for pipes. Uh, well, I remember I was doing a workshop with the Kenya Red Cross, and we were thinking of how uh, we can be able to. 3D print uh, different connectors that can be used uh, you know, in emergencies because these things are needed. So um, it's not only that, so there's wash, there's healthcare, and um, there's also, uh, we're also looking into how we can also have manufacture items for ambulances, things that are really needed, for example, an ambulance could be IV drips or, you know, things to hold. Uh, and also for um, not only in healthcare, but also we are looking in. Um, in, for example, in maternity, how we can have uh, low-cost solutions that can enable, you know, nurses to diagnose uh, or you know, when they, whenever they're doing checkups with pregnant women, kind of mm-hmm. you know, manufacturing fetal dopplers, you know, all these things. So uh, it was a, a big range, but we focused yeah. only for these on healthcare. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and and just to to to, to know because. You know, trying to fix or to build something in healthcare, and it's the same thing in I don't know in logistics, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are different uh, sort of knowledge that is required. So I'm just wondering, how were you able to understand how machines work so that you can come up with solutions? Uh, were you studying? Were you I don't know. Just explain to us how you were doing it. Yeah. So. Uh, I have been. Uh, I'm always interested in these. Uh, new technologies and uh, I'm grateful for the place called Gearbox. So Gearbox, it was not only just uh, working with the equipment, but you had to first of all take a course, which is mostly like it's a, like industrial manufacturing. So you go through the whole process of uh, learning all the digital publication tools. And then later on, you can find uh, an interest. It could be, uh, first of all, you take, for example, 3D printing, and then you go to laser cutting, you engraving, then you go to um, a molding, then you go to uh, CNC, which is milling, so you can manufacture uh, like metallic devices uh, or parts. So we go through the whole process. Then you go also through welding, then uh, um, etching, and all this. So once you go through the whole process of learning, then you can try and specialize in one thing or two things, and then you can pick up on that. So for me, I picked uh, 3D printing and. Um, and the CNC machining, which is machining parts and things. Great, quite quite a lot of um, information there. So uh, let's go to the experience that you've had outside the country. Um, I saw that you were working in Nigeria, uh, doing some interesting uh, cooking solution for for women. Could you explain to us what you were doing in this project? Nigeria was a very it was a very interesting project. This one because. Uh, first of all, it's a very um, uh, it's a, a very insecure place, you know, high risk, and uh, it's a lot of uh, uh, chaos there. So uh, we're trying to find ways we can help women in this uh, in this concentration camp where everyone was you know they could not leave the place. It's a place with a military you know engrave around, so people cannot leave, and you know they have to cook. They're getting food and all these uh, donations from organizations, but still they have to cook. And cooking there, it's a, it's a camp, so they have to leave and go outside the military camp and try to get fired. And for me, I was trying to work together with the community and trying to find, okay, what are the solutions? Like, well, how can we manage this? Like, yeah. There's a lot of waste being produced within the camp. Mm-hmm. We have a place that has thousands of people concentrated in one place. So there's a lot of waste that could be used. And so how can we you know, convert that into fuel? But then also we need equipment, so we also trying to also trying to map out all the, uh, the the technicians or engineers or whoever is in the camp who has some skills or has a shop they can weld they can uh, they have some kind any kind of equipment that we can all work together and right. build machines that could help convert this waste that is coming from a refugee camp into actually fuel that mm-hmm. that is clean fuel that women can use. So during the time there, yeah, I was trying to uh, map out also mechanics because there are so many mechanics in that place. Mm-hmm. So what we did is that uh, we worked with some local welders and we came up with machines, devices that could help press convert the waste into clean cooking fuel. And this worked very well, and uh, the community was. Uh, I involved the community in making and learning more about the tools. Mm-hmm. So, so that at least if I leave, they continue the culture of making and also producing, you know, solutions for themselves. 
So yeah, I'm I'm really interested to know uh, how are you able to get the acceptance from the communities, uh, like trying to work together, supporting you, all these kind of things. How did you uh, you know approach that? Uh, one of the things is to really try and come up with the solutions that are community driven. I think that's why it starts to work fast. You have to engage the people. I had to talk to the elders. I had to find whether it's a local chiefs and you have to pitch to them the idea of what you're doing to make them understand what is it that you're building. And uh, the, the part that I like most is working with the community and involving people in the learning process, not only in the making, but the learning and not in the problem solving. You come up with community-driven solutions. So when you involve the community like this, they can see clearly that you care and it's a genuine solution to a problem that it's actually, you know, they are facing a way big problem. So when you come up with a solution and you actually show them or you guide them on how to solve this big problem that they're facing, they're very receptive and they're very welcoming. It's easy to work it like that. Rather than coming outside with your whole complete package solution and you give them and tell them, okay, here's how you can do it. Yeah. So I very do. different approach. Yeah. 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 It's all about like acceptance because you cannot just come out there and say, this is the solution that I built from, I don't know where, and you cannot use it. And this is the user manual. I think it's the uh, solutions that you build with the community is always more accepted because they feel the ownership. Uh, yes. There. So, um, yeah, it's a great, great, great um, story. Uh, and in terms of, um, because I'm very sure you've transitioned and you've grown in your career. Uh, what are you doing ra- uh, right now? So currently, I'm uh, focusing a lot on um, emergency projects, uh, really setting up, uh, uh, working in, uh, in crisis and disasters. Yeah. So uh, I actually just came back from Ukraine, where we had a very big project of uh, renovating shelters that are hosting refugees um, or displaced people, not refugees, but displaced people from uh, all over the places that are experiencing uh, war at the moment. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm currently, this is what I'm doing now, uh, uh, trying to find different ways of uh, supporting these shelters. So mm-hmm. apart from that, it's also working a lot in supply chains and trying to also find innovative ways of supporting uh, displaced people. Uh, not only in just one area of logistics, but it's also in different areas of uh, providing food, donations, and uh, uh, trying to support the community more. Uh, you mentioned Ukraine, and this is, uh, I'm wondering if there was any sort of difference between, uh, I don't know, working in Nigeria where the situation is bad, but not as much as in Ukraine. Uh, was there some sort of difference in the way you were reacting or coming up with solutions? For, for Ukraine, the one thing that's different, for example, compared to other places, is also that uh, it's a very well organized. Uh, a country. I mean, when you look at logistics in Ukraine, it's amazing. It's a very organized, uh, uh, a very organized system that works very efficiently. Um, so when you have this kind of setup, uh, it's easy to come up with ideas or kind of try to find solutions. And uh, the emergency, day, even though there's a lot going on, it's very easy to work out things very quickly. Uh, infrastructure is really great. You know, they have a very good infrastructure system. So. It was easy to work out things in that place. Also, you have uh, many skilled people, uh, yeah. which was uh, very, very, uh, sorry, very advantageous for us because we can be able to work uh, work out many things at the same time. So, compared to maybe other places where sometimes you have 
you know, less skilled labor. You have to spend a lot of time in training, in capacity building, like compared to now Ukraine. You know, it was really focusing on solutions and really going in and supporting the community, even though there was uh, incidences of insecurity and uh, with the ongoing war, we always have to be alert. I remember, for example, we had a, a community that had developed a very quick alarm system that could, you know, alert us whenever, for example, there are missile strikes in the air. Everyone could have their phone with the alarm and all this. So it was everything was organized very quickly. So this was a, the, the different part, and everyone was alert and they are aware about the emergency. So um, the, everyone is working as a team to try and you know, support each other. So this was really good. Yeah, nice. Because I mean, like uh, logistics is always like the I can say the backbone of uh, any sort of intervention. Um, and just to to, to know, uh, do you feel like you you are making difference? You're being there, you know, working with them. Did, were, you, were you feeling like you're making any sort of difference uh, to the way organize the organization that you're working with was actually implementing the, the support? Definitely, I think we I had a really great impact uh, with the community there because one of the things is that we I was doing this assessment so I would just uh, drive off to a remote place and try to identify shelters where most people who are displaced were coming from so mm-hmm. and you know in this situation you have people also who are having uh, mental health challenges because of the war it's not something there some of them have experienced so most of them are in a state of emergency in their mind. So for them, it's like, I need food, and I need a place, a warm place to sleep. But then apart from that, there are also more other things that they need. So for me, it was really to, you know, you're like an ego in the eye, you're looking at the community and you're like, okay, they need this, they need that. So I was doing a lot of renovations and looking at other things that they might need, not just that. There was a lot of, for example, coming up with the new ideas, for example, uh, we had the heated tents, you know, that could support them. For example, whenever a railway station, uh, the, the trains were evacuating people, whenever they were brought to a place, it was very cold. It was actually all there during the winter when it was kicking in. So they needed warm places to be, mm-hmm. you know. So, and not only that, whenever they arrived, they also need uh, warm food. So how do you cook for so many people? So it was also, you know, it, it, it everything was creativity. So it was, okay, then we need instant food that you just add hot water. It's much easier to provide people with hot water and food is ready. Than yeah. Find like a, a, a kitchen to support, you know, thousands of people. It's not practical, you know. It's a solution, but, you know. So all these things, also looking at all these things and also providing, for example, creative winter kits for children and adults and everybody. So... And also kind of trying to come up with ways of how we can beat rooms where, you know, all these people have been sheltered because some of them have been sheltered in schools. So we need an innovative ways of how are we going to hit these rooms before winter starts. So mm-hmm. I was really trying to bring all these solutions. All, all, there's so many things going on at the same time and they're all urgent. It's an emergency. We need solutions. Yeah. Winter is coming and so... We have time was not on our side, so you have to prepare. Yeah, yeah you, have to be, you have to think fast. You have to think creatively on how you can support these people. Yeah, and and just for for someone else who is just out there listening to this uh, video uh, or podcast, um, what are your what is your thing process? What is the process that you follow before you come up with a solution? Just to just highlight some of the important things that you uh, someone to take in consideration before. 
you know, coming up with a solution because, like, we don't want to be in a situation where we just rush, come up with anything, you know, and then waste our resources trying to build solutions that are not really useful. Yeah. Uh, you know that. So, what I would say is that it's the thing I can say is that it's very important to be putting yourself in other people's shoes, try to think of the problem, you know. I think it's not that I make things or that I have skills of making things. I think it's how I analyze problems. I see a problem and I want to solve it. And then it's how you can start to, when you, have, when you see people are having a big challenge, trying to break it down in the simplest form on what are the, the, the ways you can solve it, you know, cost-effective ways that you can solve this problem. So this helps you come up with ideas and you start to tinker, you start to come up with the solution one, solution two, and then you try to see which one works best. So you go out and you try out one solution and then see if it works. It's the only way. You have to try out things. Whenever you have a challenge or you see a problem, try to come up with something, you know, even if it's not going to work, just try it out. You learn something from it. I think that's the way. Whenever I try to solve problems, whenever you see Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and try to just don't be hard on yourself try to take small steps in solving the problem and mm-hmm. slowly slowly you start to get the momentum of how to come up with solutions so this is how it started so uh, that's how I break down big challenges into small small tasks and then eventually I could think of okay how can I now try and solve really big problems for the communities thank you so much Michael I think um this has been quite an interesting uh, discussion. And I think um, the kind of, I don't know how to call that, but um, you've put a lot of energy to build yourself to who you are right now. And that means a lot to yourself and also to the people that you're supporting. So um, thanks for that. Uh, and for the listeners out there, if you want to reach out to Michael, we will share the uh, his details. And stay tuned for the next uh, episodes because we are going to still talk about the same uh, area of discussion because we want to go into detail uh, on some of the projects that Michael is working on. So in the next episode, we are going to look at uh, some of the projects like the um, Wispin, which is a sanitary, uh, reusable sanitary towel, uh, cleaner, I think, sort of uh, project. Uh, and also we'll have a discussion about, um, open discussion about mecha community uh, and how to build one, how to join one, uh, and also some of the challenges around uh, this uh, sort of approach where uh, we have technology, but also we still need to have people who are very hands-on, who can fix things, who can make things. So thank you everyone for your time and have a good time. See you in the next one.